welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Awesome. Well, welcome, welcome. I hope you're excited to be here today. That was kind of a question with an expectation of an answer. And um, I just, I'm so excited for what God is going to do. I want to officially dismiss the kids. They need to go. Not the youth today, but um, the kids. And I'm just opening up my notes here. I had to open up something else. I was going to, as you know, and as you heard Eduardo share earlier, talking about the House of Hearts, something that we so value every year, the end of every year, we do what we call our House of Hearts Sunday. We have a desire to see a house full of healthy hearts, a house full of people that have heart towards the things that matter to God, and this matters to God, the house of God matters to God. You believe that? You believe that? Are you in the room this morning? Are you in the room? Did you drink your coffee? Let me, maybe I should drink some coffee. Um, and so at the end of every year, we do a year-end, special year-end, special financial offering to strengthen the exit of one year in the house to enter the next year strong. It gives us opportunity to give in different places, gives us opportunity to strengthen the community in different places, to expand in different places. And of course, as you know, we came out of 100 Sundays online only during that two-year desert, isolated place that no one wants to go back to. Zoomland is a very depressing place to live. You know, and so, of course, we're still online for those that maybe aren't comfortable coming back. But, uh, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're so thankful for that season, but it was a challenging season. We actually did two House of Hearts Sundays online, which, is, which was incredible. Um, and just to see the strength of the house during that season. And I shared last year what came in, uh, like, to, like the, from the November um, 2020 no, yeah, now I'm confusing myself. What was the last year's report from t- 2020 to 2021 and how we were able to give basically 17% of our income entirely to local missions and national missions and ama- help amazing things around, you know, locally and, and nationally, internationally as well. And um, this year, this past year, our past House of Hearts, which was in the end of 2021, um, normally we would share it, but I actually made a video and I want to encourage you to go online on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, do us a favor. Subscribe to our Kingdom Culture YouTube channel because we do an online experience every week at 1030. It's a lot shorter. It's about an hour long. And there is a video in there explaining. I, wanna, I don't want to take too much time today, so I want to dive into what I feel like the Lord has for us this morning. But I want to encourage you to go there because we were able to do a little bit, some different things this year that we didn't, haven't normally done in the past with last year's, um, you know, what came in. I think last year what came in in our special year in offering was about $78,000. And that was online, which is honestly surprisingly incredible. 
for being online, 100 Sundays online. And, you know, as you know, we lost so much traction coming into, um, back into venues in the end of January. You know, it's been a challenging go for so many people. It's been a challenging go for our team, which is one of the reasons why we're encouraging team connection in this season. That everybody has a part to play. Everybody has value in this house. And, and to, you know, it's so often it's a sad statistic that, uh, you know, I think 100% of the weight of not-for-profits, charitable organizations, and churches rely on 20% of the people. And we just want to see that change. That's just not a healthy way to live. And, I, you know, I gave the illustration that if we're, we are the body of Christ, which the Bible calls us, Jesus calls us the body, his body, he's the head, we are his body, you know, every part has function, right? If, if we're walking around downtown and, you know, only one leg is working, we look like a little bit off, don't we? Well, that's what the church looks like when not everybody's functioning in their place. We need the fingers. We need the arms. We need the, you know, the, the chest. We need everything. We need the six-pack, seven-pack, eight-pack, 12-pack abs, you know. We need all of it happening, you know. That was supposed to be a little bit of a funny joke, but no one's laughing. We, we, we want to look like a strong house. want to be a strong house. And so I think the strength only happens when everybody is finding out and figuring out where they fit knowing that they do. And so that's the journey we want to help you on. If you want to figure out where you fit, please, let's have a chat because I believe you have a place here to strengthen the house. And so we are in week four of a, a series called Heart Work. Everyone say Heart Work. You know, one of the things I always talk about to, our, to our, our church here, it's like imagine I'm having a conversation with you on a phone for 45 minutes and you say nothing on the other end. I'm like, are you here? Are you still there? And you say, yeah, I'm still there. That's what I do here when I'm speaking for 45 minutes. Yeah, he's here. Thank you. Thank you. It's like a phone call, you know. So there's a little bit of engagement expectation here. Also to keep you awake because I know that you're tired right now. You're sitting in these comfortable, you know, wiggly, lazy boy type, you know, rocking chairs. Some of you are going to fall asleep. And so just know that if you fall asleep, I may call you out. I may point you out. You may put all the attention on you, you know. I'm just joking, but please don't fall asleep. It makes me tired when I see you sleep. But I get it. Part of the House of Hearts this year, you know what our hope is, our desire is, is that from this House of Hearts, we would see some major breakthrough to strengthen our house, to get a building by the grace of God. You know, we put so much money over the years in our House of Hearts to other things, and we just want to see our human resource element get stronger here and a building, having the readiness for a building. We almost bought one in July, and I just came to the realization that, man, we need to, we need to be ready financially uh, to buy and purchase a building so we can get out of, we got, God bless Cineplex, but come on. We, we're, we're ready. Ready, Freddie. Seven years, been mobile. Seven years. Week four of our Heart Work series, and I want to say this again. I've said it every week. Heart work is hard work all the time. Heart work is hard work all the time. The hardest work to do is the work on your heart. Deal with the things in your heart. Man, out of your heart come all the issues of life. Out of your heart come all the challenges, struggles, like how many have no-go zones? Nobody has no-go zones? Okay, only one person's honest in the room. One person in the room has a no-go zone. Well, those no-go zones, God wants to go. And that's why it's hard to work through the heart stuff because it's hard. 
There are no go zones where we want nobody to go, especially God, because it means vulnerability. It means potential healing. It means so many things, restoration. And what does restoration, reconciliation, healing look like? It means your life's going to look different than it does right now. And some of us get so comfortable in our emotional sickness. We get comfortable in our our. our our traumas and our crisis and we get comfortable because we've set up our life with protection and defenses to almost keep us in a place of of having issues and 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 living from the challenges and keep us in a place of not dealing with the things that are holding us back in life and and past traumas and crisis because if we did for if we were to deal with those things it would mean vulnerability and how many know in this room vulnerability can be scary because it means so much change. It means so much more than just sharing what's in the heart. It means like, okay, now I'm responsible to move forward. And that's sometimes hard for a lot of people. And so this is part of the preparation. Moving into our December 4th, which is next week, our House of Hearts Sunday, is we want to always continue to work at the heart. And God wants to see a house full of healthy hearts. I'm not saying we're not going to have challenges and, and things that we're constantly moving through, but man, if we could just let God into some of those no-go zones, everything would begin to change. I want to read a scripture today. Go there with me out of 1 Kings chapter 17. I have coffee on the table. I have coffee today this morning. I never usually have coffee. Thanks, Eduardo. It's a little cold now, but it's okay. 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Verse 1 says this, now Elijah, which by the way, I'm probably going to be really boring today because I'm going to teach. No, I'm just, I'm kind of just joking here. I know, thank, thank you for the encouragement. No, I'm not, I know. But I want to encourage you to take notes because I'm putting on my more extreme teaching hat. Now, that may change because I, I try to follow the, the flow, you know, and I, I may feel different because I have actually a 90-minute message today. And there's a moth in the room. I have a 90-minute message today that I've already recorded for our online, but I'm splitting it up into two. So we'll see where we get to today, okay? But I want to encourage you, take some notes. Some of you are going to love me after the end of this. Some of you are not going to like me so much. But I'm okay with that, right? First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. By the way, let me just say, thank you, Harley. By the way, let me just say that, you know, when something happens in the room, and the only person that's running around the room is the most sane professional in the room who's also a judge in our city you know God's moving let me just say that out there okay when the most sane professional who is a judge in the court system is running around the thing you know something's happening just just give some little pastoral insight okay she's actually not a scary person to talk to just letting you know she's the most amazing individual to talk to she's an incredible individual Chapter 17, verse 1, now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab. Now, Elijah, for those of you who don't know, is a prophet, okay? And this is right before he has a major confrontation with a woman named Jezebel and a whole bunch of false prophets, and he ends up running for his life. This is all before that experience. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. I'm just giving you a little bit of context. Elijah, who was a prophet, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. 
this prophecy in today's context, as surely as the Lord lives, there's going to be a pandemic. It's going to last two years, but it's going to continue. It's going to affect interest rates. There's going to be a famine, shortage of food. All kinds of things are going to happen. Weird things are going to happen. A lot of weird people are going to get weirder in the next season. I'm just letting you know the next three and a half years is going to be tough. This is what he's saying. He's predicting a really hard season. He's predicting it. There's going to be division. There's going to be the mass camp, the non-mass camp, the vaccinated camp, the non-vaccinated camp, the conspiracy theorists, the podcasters. They're all going to, it's going to be a great divide. And it's going to be hard to live within the divide. It's going to be challenging for the next three and a half years until he says, I give the word. So he prophesies what's going to happen. Then he says, it's going to last until I give the word that it's going to stop. He says this in verse 2, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. Some people be, read this and be like, oh, this must be like an allegory or an illustration because how could ravens bring food? Well, when you understand who God is as a creator, God created all things and is in all things and is everywhere. He can do whatever the heck he wants, whenever he wants, how he wants to do it. And you can't ever and will not ever logically be able to figure it out with science or logic. Yes, science actually does and, and reveals the beauty of God, but beyond science, there are things called miracles and the supernatural that science cannot understand. This is the God that we serve, that we see in the greatest book, the bestseller of all time, the Bible. It is not an illustration. It is not an allegory. It happened. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that did this back then can do it now and is doing it now. I actually saw a video recently of actually this individual, uh, actually I don't want to go, uh, yeah, I'll tell you that. I saw a video recently of this, of this, this is totally random, my, my, this is how my brain works. I actually saw a video recently of this story about, I think it was a young kid, and this raven was, I, I don't know how they, they trained it or something, but was bringing like dollar bills to this kid's house and trinkets, and picking up, like, trinkets from the garbage, and, and bringing these trinkets and, like, money to this kid's house. Crazy. I mean, I can't validate the truth of it, but I saw the video, and I, was, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, hey, well, it's in the Bible, so I believe it probably is possible. It definitely is possible. So it says here in verse 4, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, camp Beside the Kareth brook, east of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and, each, and bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no more rainfall anywhere in the land. So scholars say this probably was about two years. Yeah, imagine living for two years fed by birds. That had to have been some clean food, like organic organs. You know, like, imagine, imagine living, living that way. I can't even imagine that. But somehow God sustained him in that, that process. There was no rainfall all of a sudden, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon, which is about 100 miles away, right near the enemy that he was about to face. So now I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning you, I'm getting you ready to go into one of the biggest fights of your life. So he transitions Elijah into uh, Zarephath and the sit near the city of Sidon. I have instructed, this is what he says in verse 9. I have instructed, 
a widow there to feed you. So God had instructed the widow already. You're going to see this crazy prophet who's been living on raven's food for the last two years. He's going to be my representative. Because back in that culture, the prophets, the prophets and those that were anointed and assigned by God were the representations of God. So when you encountered a prophet, is that, and what you, whatever you did to the prophet, it was as though you were doing it unto God. How you served, how you honored, how you, how you, you know, uh, were hospitable with the prophet was as if you were doing that all unto God. Which actually is the same today with each other. How you serve each other, hopefully you do it unto God, not just to impress the person. Because you so love God, you see the value of human human life around you and you're loving your neighbor as yourself and so you want to honor you want to you want to give them the best experience well you're doing that unto God it honors God it's a form of worship to God actually when you honor those around you and love those around you so he says I've instructed a widow there to feed you so he went to Zarephath and as he arrived at the gates of the village he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her would you please bring me a little water in a cup as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too, by the way. Verse 12, but she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful, everyone say handful, handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. What a wild way to be thinking. But she knew, she already had, according to scripture, instruction by God that you're going to see a prophet and I want you to honor that prophet, which is honoring me, by giving him and feeding him. She says, she says to him his response when he asks her, I swear that I don't have any bread. This is often what happens for us. We, we tell God, we don't have, we don't have. You know about what we do have? We have the ingredients for what God's asking for us, of us. We don't have bread. Yeah, I haven't made the bread yet, but I actually have the oil. I have the flour. I actually have what I need to make the bread, but I don't have bread. He's asking for bread. He's not asking for the ingredients. The revelation is sometimes God will ask you for something that you don't feel like you have, but you have the ingredients for. And he's looking to see if you can see it like that. So I don't have the education, God. I don't have the diploma. I don't have the PhD, but I have all the ingredients for all of that if you're asking me for it. I have the discipline. I have the commitment. I have the time. You see what I'm saying here? We often excuse what God's asking from us because we see it as though just face value. We don't see it a layer deep. And we miss out on what God wants to do in us because we can't see. So he, she, says, she says here, she's like, I only have a handful left. And the prophet's like, that's okay. Don't you think this feels kind of a little bit selfish? I don't know. I, I do. When I, when I read this scripture, he, she says, I only have a little bit of handful, a little, a little handful of flour in a jar, a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug, and I'm, I'm about to die. This is my last meal. Verse 13, listen to, what, listen to what Elijah says, okay? This is where you'll see a little bit of the selfishness, at least from face value, this is what you see. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, because I know you got some fear going on. Go ahead and do what you just said. As in, like, go make yourself some bread and go die. 
Like, go make yourself some bread, like, have your last meal. But this is, this is how he, he flips it. It's almost like strategic, strategic selfishness. He says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you just said. But make me a little bread first, and then take what's left, and then go die with your son. Isn't that wild? But the, the crazy thing is, God instructed Elijah, you're going to see a widow, she's going to feed you. God instructed the widow ahead of time that you're to feed this prophet. Now they're in this scenario, and she's being challenged with the word that God had already given her. And all she has is a handful. This is the thing. See, when God asks for your handful, he's getting ready to bless you miraculously. Every time. But it doesn't make sense, Sean. Exactly. Nothing in the kingdom makes logical sense. If you want to live a life of faith, you want to see supernatural miracles in your life, the way to get there, the ingredients to get there never make sense. So God's asking for her handful, and she's like, that's all I got left. Now we're really going to die. We're not even going to have our last meal. We're going to starve to death now. But the principle is this. When you put God first, God takes care of the rest. Because his statement was to the widow, take care of me first, and then take what's left, and basically watch the breakthrough happen. Man, this is all throughout Scripture. When you put God first in every area of your life, use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be, this is the promise now, if you put me first, if you give me, which in that moment was the first and the last of her revenue, really. Food was considered revenue. Food was considered finance. Here you go, here you go, God, okay, it's all I got left. It's all of my wealth. It's everything that I own that has value right now, outside of our lives, I'm going to give it to God. Remember, Elijah represents God in the moment. You give me what's first. You give me the most important. You give, because that was the most important. That was the most precious. The first in your life is always what's most precious in your life. And for her, it was a handful. It's all she had left. And God was like, give to me first and let me take care of the rest. I wonder what would happen if it was reversed. I wonder what would happen if the widow said, let me do the meal first with my son, and then I'll give you what's left. I wonder what would have happened. We don't know, but we do know that because she gave to him first, God did a crazy miracle. Let me read it to you. It says in verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the Israel, there will always be, this is the promise, flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. Grow again. There will always be. So if you give me first, trust me first, I'll take care, I'll give you all, everything you need. Until you don't need it. Until you get the job again. Okay, so right now it's tough. So until you, you know, you don't have a job, it's rough, you're like scrounging, you're scrounging. You give me what's first, you trust me with what's first in your life, and I'll take care of you for the next year and a half. I will take care of you until the famine stops and you get that job again and things start growing again for you. I'm going to provide for your need. I'm going to take care of you supernaturally. Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always, listen to this, there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. This is God's promise to you today 
when you can trust God with your little, when you can trust God with your handful, when you can trust God with everything that you have and put him first, he will bless the rest, take care of the rest. There is something about what's first. There has always been a huge chasm between what's first and what's last, or with what's first and with what's left. And it's very important we never live a life giving God our lazy leftovers. Because we will miss it, we will miss out on life. We give God what's best, what's first, what's most important to us, and we will always see the most amazing, miraculous things in and through our life. If you're taking notes, write this, this down, because over the next, I'm not going to do it next week, but this is going to get split up into two probably. I want to talk about the most non-controversial controversy. How many people know that sometimes the things that are most controversial really aren't and shouldn't be so controversial? Does anybody think that way ever? Like things that seem like common sense and just right and make sense and, and you've had experience in it and you've lived it out. That it's, why is it so controversial? The reason why there are things in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, that are so controversial, the, con- the most controversial things in Scripture are the things that are always stretching you the hardest. It's not controversial to, to pray, is it? To give God some time and talk to Him and, and pray when you're worried about something, you know. Pray when death is knocking at your door. Is that controversial? No, but there are things that are controversial in Scripture that if you were to do them, you might lose some friends, right? You might seem weird to people. You know, there, there are things in Scripture that if you were to live out in your life would look controversial because, man, it makes no sense what you're doing. There's no logic behind it. But that's exactly what faith is. It's illogical. If faith were logical, then it would not be faith. Paul says it like this, that faith is always a walk in the dark. He says, we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. Oh, no, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith, sorry. Paul said it the opposite way. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. In other words, what he says is that faith looks like you're walking with your eyes closed. We're, we're trusting God in every step of the way, so it doesn't make sense because we're not basing our steps on what we see. We're actually basing our steps on what we don't see, but what we really see in God and what he's doing. Faith is a walk in the dark always. It's always a walk in the dark. And so really what I'm talking about is what it looks like to put him first in every area of our life. Every area. It says in Matthew 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you think on, meditate on, whatever you hope for the most, whatever is most occupying your life, your schedule, your time, is usually where your treasure is the most. And what he's trying to get at is he's saying, listen, I want to be the thing you treasure. Because if I'm first, if I'm the thing you treasure, you're going to see incredible things happen in your life. But if money is your treasure, if your family is your treasure only, if your time, your job, your career, your big business plans are your treasure, all those things are ahead of me, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. I want first to be the thing you most think about. Most on your mind. Because listen, in the end, guess what? The only thing that matters in the end when you die is what you did with eternity that lives on the inside of you. 
There's an eternal part of you. And there's an eternal God who created you. And the only thing at the end of your life that is going to matter, that is going to matter is where you're going and who you're going to. Because in the end, that is the most important part of you. You were created with a purpose. You were created with a purpose and a design to know the one who gave you a purpose and design. And to not know the one who gave you a purpose and design is to miss out on life. And to miss out on the fullness of what could be in your life and in your family and even in your career and in every part of your, what matters to you. And he wants to be, like I said, he wants to be that treasure. It's funny because the widow was challenged with this. I mean, I don't know what she was going through in her heart when she was like, okay, what do I do now? The widow was really challenged with this. She was looking forward to her last meal. She was looking forward to what she was going to get in life. But God was looking for the meal she was going to give. And often this is how we live, right? We look forward to what we're going to get in life rather than what we're going to give in life. Because the people that are remembered the most in life, I mean, this is just statistical data. Anybody in history, the people that are remembered for the most in life are remembered for what they gave to life, what they gave to the people around them, what they gave to the culture, what they gave, what they left behind based upon what they gave, not what they got. So we spend our whole life trying to get, 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 thinking that we can find identity and fulfillment and pleasure and all the things we can get. But God is looking for what you can give, always. Because that's what's remembered. That's what leaves real legacy is what you can give. Proverbs 13 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man, that's what it says, gives. A good man is remembered for what he gave, not for what he got. This is the journey that we're on, you guys. If, if we could flip the perspective, what would it do in our lives? If we, instead of searching for what we can get to make us feel better about ourselves, man, if we sought God for what we could give, God would then give us all the things we want. That's actually the kingdom. It says in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you want and need will be added to you, will follow you. But here's the thing, you guys, we want to hold back a whole bunch with all those no-go zones. We want to hold back our finances, hold back our time, hold back our skills, hold back all these things because we're looking for what we can get rather than what we can give. And we're missing out on the order that God has called us to live from as people that know Jesus in relationship. Next week, this is happening in this house. People, families will come down to the front and or online, and we're going to do communion as well. But some make massive sacrifices, and I say this every year. It's never about the, the, the size of the gift. It's always about the size of the sacrifice. One dollar to somebody could be a lot of money. Now, probably to most people in this room, it's not. But one dollar could be a lot of money. It could be a sacrifice. The same way that $20,000 could be a sacrifice. It's equal sacrifice on both sides, but the gift is smaller, gift is bigger. God looks at the heart and says, it's not about the gift, the size of the gift. It's about the size of your sacrifice. Because it's in the sacrifice that I do the work. Are you hearing this this morning? One of the things that we do every year on these Sundays is we tie our faith to something that we're believing for. 
as we give, as we step out, as we sow, we're like, okay, okay, God, I, I, I am partnering my faith with this financial seed to something that I'm believing for in 2023. Amen. And we always see incredible, incredible things. There's things that took me seven years, six years of believing for every house of hearts that it took six years for it to happen that I wrote actually on the card. But what it does is it does something in my heart to look back on those cards that I've kept and see, wow, I, 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 I wrote that down and it happened seven years later. Isn't that wild? In moments like these. And here's the thing. God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. That's why it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the sacrifice, what it means for you. The Bible is, is full of so many incredible truths around this element of our spiritual life. You know that Jesus spoke more on money than he did on prayer. And there was a reason for that. Because he knew that if money had you, your prayers would probably suck a little bit. I'm just saying the truth. Because money is considered a God. Matthew 6, verse 20, 24. It's considered a God. You either love God or love money. That's what he, 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 qualify, he actually calls mammon a God. You can't serve both. You can't be on the fence and serve both. It's going to destroy you. And he talks more about money because he knows that if money has you, he doesn't. And if he doesn't have you, when you pray, you're going to pray to a God that doesn't have you. Your prayers won't make sense in faith because they're like you're praying as though you don't know him. And don't know what he wants for you because money is your God. Let me just say it like this. If money is the only qualifier to every decision you make, God is not the one in the front seat. He's not. Because think about it. If the widow did that, okay, the widow did that, she wouldn't have given the handful. She would have taken care of her family first and then honored God second. What would have happened? We don't know, but we know the miracle happened because she honored God first. You guys, this is the greatest challenge you're going to face in life. You know why? It's the, it's the first, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments? You know what the first commandment was? The first commandment was let no other God be before me. There was a reason for that because he wants to be first in every area of our lives. First in our relationships. First in our families. First in our finances. In every area. And it just so happens that the thing that's a driver of our life, the financial element, is often the thing that gets in the way the most. And so he says to us, put me first and I'll take care of the rest. Timothy says, in Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of God is the root of all kinds of fruits. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's only the polar opposite. It's not money. Money's good. Money's really good. But it's the love, it's the worship of money in the front seat as first that is the root of all kinds of evil. How many know people that have let greed take them out? Bankrupt their lives. Like it's, it's, it was all about the money, all about the money. What did it do for you? Probably nothing good. Probably nothing good. It probably was, uh, it, it, in its seed form, it looked good, it sounded good, but then it was the root of all kinds of evil that started producing fruit on your tree that was rotten that actually ended up almost destroying your life. That's what happens when God isn't first in your life and money is. And that's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters and he calls mammon a god. And that's also why at the Last Supper, 
You know what, where he was sitting at the Last Supper? In between Judas, who betrayed him for money, and beside John, who was considered the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was sitting at the Last Supper before he died with his disciples, in between the love of God, which was represented in John, and the love of money. It was a statement to say that, listen, at every table of life that you sit on in life, you're going to be in the in-between. You have to choose between God and money. What are you going to choose? Because it was Judas that actually betrayed Jesus for money. It was Judas that sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver and basically led him to the capture, which led him to the slaughter on the cross. It was Judas, his right-hand financial guy, that literally sold him out because he was obsessed with money. This is what money does. I always said it like this, money will master you and then turn around and moon you. That's what money does. You let it become your master, it masters you, enslaves you, and then it will turn around and laugh at you and scoff at you. That's what happened to Judas. That's why Judas ended up killing himself. He was so full of shame of what money had done to his life that he couldn't handle living anymore. Sad tragedy, sad ending to his life. But money will do this to you. You'll get to the top and realize the top doesn't like you. The top never liked you. You'll get to the top, you'll spend all your time worshiping the top. You'll get there and be like, I have no fulfillment. It doesn't even like me. It's not even a person that I can engage with. And really, in the end, there's never quite an end. It never quite ends. This is why God says, I want to be first. I want to protect you. You think about life, and I'm almost done here. We're going to transition. I barely even got, I didn't even get into any points, actually. This is why I said, this is like a 90-minute message. You got to come back in two weeks. Think about life for a second, though. In every stage of life, it's always about first, even in like, think about the game of baseball. I think about baseball. To get the home run or to get to home base, what do you have to do? Go through first. You can't skip first and go to second. You only get home. You only get the run. You only get the win if you make it home by going through what's first. The widow only got the breakthrough, only got the home run by giving God what was first. And when she did that, she activated the home run, which was the miracle breakthrough in her life that now gave her the provision for whatever she needed. Her jars were never left unfulfilled. Unfilled. Are you hearing this this morning? She said, he, said, he said to her, make me a little bread first. Like, deal with your son, and then you can go to die. That's not what he said, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Make me the thing, but, but honor me first, and then watch what's going to happen. You think, but doesn't it make sense to pay your bills first? Pay off your debt? Go to that restaurant? Go to that trip? Buy that car? Buy that boat? Buy that house? Buy that new equipment? Doesn't it make sense? Maybe logically. But God is not a God of logic. He is a God that he wants you to trust in him in faith with. It's by faith we please him. That's it. Hebrews 11 verse 6. It's impossible to please God except by faith. He doesn't say logic. He says faith. In fact, the Bible says he'll give you a peace that surpasses your understanding, which literally is your logic. He will give you a supernatural experience of peace in your heart that will go beyond your understanding. That's the place we're called to live every day. 
Are you hearing this this morning? Is this absorbing, absorbing in your life? Because I, I hear people all the time talking about giving God their first with their time, their skills, their money, trusting God. Well, how do you say to the, the single mom who barely has money, is on welfare, how do you tell them to trust God like that? Listen, I'm not saying anything. If you have an issue, take it up with management who wrote the book. I'm just the delivery man. I'm the UPS guy dropping the package off at the door. If you don't like how the package is dressed up, I'm sorry, you're going to miss the content on the inside. If you don't like the teaching, which is the package, take it up with management who produced the product from the beginning. I don't make up this stuff. I just see all throughout Scripture, when we honor God, which is why it's the most non-controversial controversy, when we honor God with what's first, He takes care of the rest. So I would say to that single mom, that single dad, that someone who's struggling on welfare, hey, if you actually believe, I believe this, that God is the God of miracles, that He created you, why do you think He's only going to apply His Word to the one that has enough or feels like they have enough? And not you who feels like they don't have enough. Because I know the book. And the book is full of stories and testimonials of people that didn't have enough, that trusted God with their not enough, and God blew their mind. In fact, it was those stories that are actually held in account as the most memorable ones, the ones that went all in. And people were like, what are you doing, man? Like the woman who gave like... Like a $40,000 bar uh, cologne, or a $40,000 bottle of Tom Ford cologne. Literally, not Tom Ford, that was a joke, but literally to the feet of Jesus. Imagine, that's what it was. A whole year's salary, probably about between 40 and 50 G's. A year's salary worth of perfume, she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. This is right after her brother was resurrected, probably as a thanks, like, man, you, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. Because that's what offerings are, right? They're a thank you to what you've done. It's above and beyond what I've already given him. It's above and, it's a sacrifice. I'm pouring it out on the feet of Jesus as a thank you for all that you've done in my life. You resurrected my brother. It makes no sense. The only guy that got upset with that $40,000 bottle of perfume was Judas, who was the very guy that loved money and didn't even know it. He says, why would you do that? You could have helped the poor with it. Right? And helping the poor is, is amazing. You can't be a believer in Jesus and not help the poor. It's part of, it's part of the faith. In fact, the church, and I'll get into this in two weeks, the church's job, they were the ones that had the program to help the poor. It wasn't the government. One of the tithes, there was three tithes, which, represent, which means 10%, okay, that, that actually belonged into their spiritual life in the temple. And one of the tithes went to the poor. And it helped the poor radically every three years. They had, the, they had the programs. It wasn't the government. Now, unfortunately, it's flipped. And we trust the government with our money more than we do the house of God. And then we complain about what the church is not doing. Not doing what it should be doing because the people of God aren't putting him first in every area of their life. The very thing we're complaining about, we are actually sitting in as the problem of and with and in. We have the solution. You're like, well, how do I pay my taxes and trust God? I'm telling you, he's the creator. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know why he says that? It's a, it's a, it's a promise of, of provision. And, and I got your back financially because you can't even see a cattle on a thousand hills. You can't see a thousand hills. In other words, he has so much provision available to you 
You will never be able to see it all unless you start walking and moving forward. You're at one hill right now, you see provision, but watch, if you keep walking this journey of putting him first, you're going to see the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got a whole bunch of provision for you. But it starts with trusting him the first time. Trusting him for the first time. You, in this season, can't afford financially not to try and put him first. You want to pay off your debt? Put him first. If debt is number one, God is not. If your mortgage is number one, God is not. I'm just saying it like I see it in Scripture. If anything is before God, he is not number one. And we're not even fulfilling the first commandment. Let there be no other God before me. God wants to be first in your life. Let this season be a quest of what it looks like for you in your time, in your skills, in your finances, in your relationships. What it looks like for God to be first. Let that be your quest. Why don't you stand up with me?